0: pray for you. Great. Father, I lift up Joanna to you. I thank you that you have given us to her. We pray that you would speak to us through her. Give her peace. Give her authority. and Give her strength and love. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Hey, I haven't been- seat buddy thanks okay no worries all right so my name is Joanna and I am a part of the teaching team here at Vancouver Eastside Vineyard and our pastor lead pastor Gordy and his wife Kathleen are away this week they're in New Brunswick at some uh, denominational meetings and I'm very happy to be able to talk to you this morning um, as a part of our series called Navigating with Lesser Lights. And by lesser lights, we simply mean people in the Bible that maybe we don't hear about as often as we hear about some of the other um, characters in the Bible. But first, I just want to give a small personal update. Many of you know that I had an opportunity to go to Thailand last week or a, slightly over a week ago and uh, my husband and i work with youth of the mission and um, we have been planning um uh, well we have been planning we've been part of a journey that we believe god is uh, moving our family towards living in thailand but it's something with a timeline that has been flexible elastic and only somewhat revealed to us and so um, the latest step in that journey is that God opened the door for me to go to Thailand for the first time. Wade had been there several times on missions and, um, and I got to go and I was there for a week and it was amazing. So thank you for everybody who prayed for us and helped give to us to go. The main reason that I was there was because we have three kids who um, also are going to come to Thailand with us when we go there, and we wanted to see what it would be like for them. And so we did uh, the the Thailand picture tour of stuff that probably not everybody does the picture tour of, like we'd be in a place and suddenly we would go, oh, let's take a picture of the... The, there's a kid's toilet here. This is so cool. Let's take this picture. This is the best play area I've ever seen. And sure enough, when we showed the kids, that was I was glad we had a good sense of what they liked because sure enough, when we would show them pictures of things that we thought were kind of amazing, like look at this great big huge statue, they would say, oh yeah, that's nice. But it would be like, look at that tiny toilet. That is awesome. So... <laughs> That, that was what we did. So, so it was great, and, um, and this church has been a, a huge part of that journey, and so we're still on that journey. Our latest update is that we, we now officially have no idea when we're going to Thailand. We think, we think that it's going to take us now at least a year to do the planning that we need to do in order to set up a business there, which is what we want to do. So in, at this point, in our minds, we're here in Vancouver for at least another year. But we also are putting a great big caveat on that, that we really have no idea. So that's our, our little personal caveat. <laughs> we're not putting caviar on anything. <laughs> it's not that we have anything against it. It's just we're on a limited budget. We're on a limited budget. So enough about me. I want to talk to you about a different lady this morning. And her name is Priscilla. And in this picture up here, this is an artist's rendering of a picture of Priscilla, that beautiful lady there kneeling down to be baptized by the Apostle Paul in this painting. And this series, as we already said, is called Navigating with Lesser Lights. And that's a reference to, now, where do I point this to make it go? Is that happening? Yay, that's great. So lives of Bible figures who aren't as well-known. And it's, am I doing the right thing? Let's try that. Okay. And so in light of the discipleship series that we've been doing as a church, so we just finished a whole sermon series on discipleship. And when I was looking at this concept of navigating by lights, this is a pre-GPS idea that was at one point in time handed down from one generation to the next, the ability to navigate by the stars, Now, if you want to learn about it, you just Google it. So I looked it up on the internet, and I found it interesting that not only do they use lights in the sky to navigate by when you're sailing, but a navigation light is actually a light that's on an airplane or a water vessel. And a navigation light is something that shows the vessel's uh, position, heading, and status. And I thought that's a pretty cool analogy if we're trying to look at these people in light of discipleship, that our position, where are we on our journey, and our heading, where are we going, and our status, where are we standing in the big picture of things? For purposes of discipleship, where are we in our own discipleship, and where are we in relationship with other people, in relationship discipling them? So... Studying Priscilla has caused me to examine my position, heading, and status in my own walk with God, and actually in the church at large. um, This has been a very, in fact, this has been more a book knowledge week, and so I often kind of tend to uh, improv my sermons a bit off of notes, but I'm going to be doing more reading off of stuff that I've written this week, just because I really wanted to get the facts and things right. And... As I was journaling this week, what I wrote was that to read about Priscilla has been an experience of getting in to swim in a pool that I've always kind of paddled around the edges of. I've had a very safe harbor during my Christian walk of very supportive parents. I had very progressive leaders in my origin of denomination that allowed women and girls to be a part of things, even if the denomination as a whole maybe didn't officially say so. Uh, In working with youth with a mission, I've always been encouraged as a woman teacher and speaker and leader. And now here at the Eastside Vineyard, women are a part of the teaching team, and it's something that I've been encouraged in as well. But in the body of Christ as a whole, that's not always the case. And I guess I haven't ever been rankled enough to ask deeper questions about women in the New Testament, especially when I look at Priscilla, who was a leader, a co-leader with her husband. And this was the state of the early church and so I'm asking where are all the women leaders now but I'm getting ahead of myself because you might not have any idea who Priscilla is and I only had the slightest idea who she was so let me go back and just tell you a little bit more about her before we get into those questions that I was asking a bit more so Priscilla was married to a man named Aquila and Aquila was a Jew And uh, in the year 52 A.D., so that was about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, there in Rome, there was a Roman emperor emperor whose name was Claudius. And there was some trouble in Rome with the Jews. The Jews were persecuting their Christian neighbors, and they were causing considerable disturbances in the city. I'm one of four children. We were all very close together in age, all 15 and 16 months apart. And I remember one time we were all fighting, or it sounded like we were all fighting, and my dad, who is a very gentle man, very calm man, we give him the grandbabies in the family, he walks around, they fall asleep on him. But this day, he had seriously lost his cool. He was so done with the four of us fighting, and he just walked in and said, that's it, whatever it was, the TV's going off, or you're all doing that, you're all getting this, you're all getting this, and whoever it was who felt like they weren't in trouble said, it's not fair, it's not my fault, I never did anything wrong, and I remember him saying, yeah, okay, well, that's for a time where you did do something wrong, but you never got in trouble for it, you're getting it now, and that's what the Emperor Claudius did in 52 AD, he went, The Jews are causing trouble. Now, some of the Jews were persecuting the other Jews who were believers in Christ, but Claudius didn't care who it was. He took the TV away from all of them, or he did whatever it was that he did, and he exiled the whole Jewish community out of Rome. So, this must have left, like, whole neighborhoods empty, but two of the people who were involved in that exile were Priscilla and Aquila. And they had to leave Rome, and they went to the city of Corinth. And... This uh, Pontus, Aquila was from Pontus. Okay, so some scholars say that we don't know for certain if Priscilla was Jewish or Roman. We don't know if they were Christians at the time that they were exiled. Other scholars say that Priscilla was a woman of Jewish heritage and one of the earliest known Christian converts who lived in Rome. And her name is a Roman diminutive. It was a nickname. Her official name was Prisca, so Priscilla is kind of a nickname. But that's what she's called. She's referred to in the Bible at at both names. And in Corinth is where they met the Apostle Paul. I'm pointing this at the wrong thing. And they were uh, tent makers by trade. So Priscilla and Aquila had to leave Rome. They migrated to Corinth. 52 AD would have been about two decades after Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost, which our church read about on the celebration of Pentecost this year where his preaching brought thousands of people into the church and we know that there were visitors there from Pontus and from Rome where Priscilla and Aquila were from some background church history just for those history buffs of you Paul later made Aquila a bishop in Asia Minor he's one of the first recorded bishops Priscilla and Aquila are canonized saints in the Christian traditions that canonize saints, except for Priscilla's not a saint in traditions that don't canonize women, but we're not going to go there today. And um, it means that there's a special process where they decide who is going to be a saint. So. Yeah, that's what that word means, yeah. And so, for example, in the Catholic Church, where they recognize certain apostles or certain special people as saints, they have a process for that, and they decide that they're saints, and then they actually have a special feast day where they remember them. I know I wish they really did have feasts. I grew up in the Catholic Church. There were no actual feasts. They just called them. Yeah, yeah. So they had, so they, and for those of you who are interested, their feast day is the 8th of July. So we just... uh, we just had it a week ago. Happy Past feast Day! And um, and they were martyred. On a more serious note, they were martyred for their faith. So they died for their faith. They died for being Christians. I couldn't find history of dates, but it just says Christian tradition said that they both died. And there is reference where Paul says that they risked their lives for their faith. Um, and here is a picture of them, listed as Saint Priscilla, and Saint Aquila, and Saint Paul. And we don't have evidence in Scripture. It doesn't say in the Bible whether or not they had children, but this artist interpreted them as being a family with children. So that's kind of interesting to know. So we're gonna, I'm just going to read to you the first passage where we hear about Priscilla and Aquila. It's in Acts chapter 18, and this is what it says. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So, okay, I'll get to this point in a second. So one thing that we know from history is that there were uh, guilds that formed around Professions in that time, especially if people from the same profession worshipped a similar god. So it would have been quite natural for Paul to have found Priscilla and Aquila if they were tent makers or had some sort of shop set up in the marketplace, and if they were Jews or worshippers of the one god, if they were Christians at that point in time, it would have been quite natural for them uh, to, to connect with each other. Now, we know from a later verse in the book of Acts that Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months. So let's pause and think about that for a minute. We know that Priscilla and Quilla invited Paul to come and stay with them in their house. And he stayed for a year and a half. I think that is radical hospitality. I, uh, maybe they were even more welcoming because they themselves had been Displaced because they had already had to leave their home. We had an experience last year where our family was traveling and we needed somewhere to stay. And we were in California and we had a family that we didn't know who invited our family to come and live with them in their house. And our response was to say, do you know that we have three small children? I mean, the children were there, it was evident, but we just wanted again to make sure because they had two small children of their own and they said, yeah, it's fine we have a room. And we said, we don't think we'll fit in a room. So within an hour, they sent a text back and they said, it's okay, we'll have two rooms. And what that meant was that they had actually moved their own children onto their bedroom floor so that our children could have their children's room and Wade and I could have a room to themselves. And we found out later that this family was a Navy family who, when they had been transferred to San Diego, could not find a home of their own. And had had to stay in the house of a relative for a long period of time and god had so used that experience to soften their hearts that they welcomed our family not once but twice during the season that we were in california we stayed with them for a month and sometimes it was nuts and at the end of it they said come back and it took several months for me to believe that they were serious but they kept saying it and finally I said are you sure of course we want you to come back we stayed with them again They're some of our dearest friends in the world now. But it was radical hospitality. It was doing the kingdom in a way that we had never experienced before and it changed us. And when we had a report back last week here at our church from our team who went to Lower Post, one of the things that several of the members of the team cited as being something that caused breakthroughs or that was huge on this missions trip was radical hospitality. The fact that you were able to offer three meals a day because you had this generous financial gift, but that also that you you, know, you and your sister have this rapport of dancing in the kitchen. And um, Dawson told a story about a guy who got up and there was a breakthrough with this guy, but the, the spirit, I wrote it down, he said, was, you're not outside. You're allowed to come in. And Gordy said that his, the experience on the trip led them to be able to proclaim to the people that they meant that they were warmed by the fire of God's love. And that fire comes when we, each other, together, practice hospitality. One of the gifts that the McKay families brought to our church is they don't think anything of it. They will open their house and have a potluck and have like 50 people come over. And people say, well, it feels like 50 people. I don't know how many people actually fit. Have you ever counted? 42. 42! And, uh, and they come over. And it's these incredible times where you see these breakthroughs where the shy kid who won't talk to anybody suddenly is running around and he's the life of the party or you have conversations that you've never met before. And that's a sign of life in a church when there are parties, when there's gathering, where there's community. And this was the heart of the early church. And this is where Priscilla was such a key leader because the home was the women's territory. And... I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll tell you more about that. Radical hospitality. So uh, this fall, home groups. We've had some pretty key people in our church uh, leave or change leadership positions. And um, the McKays are moving on. And we're wishing them the best. But we're so sad that you're going. And I, there's a sense, I think I've heard a few conversations of, you know, where. Where are the people going to come from are we you know we want some more people we want in our church and as i was preparing this sermon i just felt so strongly that i was to challenge and encourage all of us today and i was challenged myself to just say we're it we are the leaders in this church we are the discipled and we are the disciplers and we are it we're it so come on women come on men These home groups are not coming out of nowhere. They're gonna come from us. They're gonna come from our ideas. They're gonna come from our decisions. They're gonna come from our dinner parties and our board games and our kids hanging out and playing together. They're gonna come from us breaking bread. You know what? We might not even open books for the first three months. We might just hang out together. That it just might be that we just need to have dinner parties for the first three months. That would be great. But I felt that my challenge was to say, come on, women. Come on, women. Come on, men. And I say it in that order for a reason. Because one of the special things about Priscilla is that Anaquila, that five of the seven times that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in Scripture, Priscilla's name is mentioned first which is so rare in antiquity that a woman's name would be mentioned before her husband that it's noteworthy and almost every person that writes about her makes note of that. It's contrary to the Roman custom of naming the man first. And in fact, it's so rarely done that it seems to indicate that Prissa was the more prominent member of the ministry couple. The fact that both Luke and Paul honour this in writing the book of Acts And in Paul's letter is important, especially when you are aware of the arguments that are presented about Paul's comments about women teaching and speaking and leading in church. And upon a plain reading of the scriptures, it does appear that Paul is against women and teaching and speaking aloud in the church. And there is much more to say here, and we do not have time to dive into all of that today. But Just the simple ordering of this ministry team's name by this man who was a supposed chauvinist is noteworthy in and of itself. So the other point that I want to make about Priscilla and Aquila is that when their team names are mentioned, their names are always mentioned together. They were a team. They worked in ministry together as a team. And for me, this is special and resonant because God has always spoken to Wade and I, and we've always understood Ourselves as a team. In fact, we quite—you had to stand up and oh, I was like, "Are you standing up to say hi?" Hi, everybody. This is my handsome husband. Hi. He's just shutting a door, shutting a door because our children are screaming somewhere in the building. Yes, okay. <laughs> all is all is well at the East Side Vineyard because we're a team. Um, and you know, the only thing that really is kind of sad is that we've never come up with like a catchy celebrity. It doesn't work with our names. We couldn't be like "Whoa or jade like what would it be woana it doesn't work oh, <laughs> i don't think it works i don't know i don't think it has a ring to it see Pr- 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 we're like priscilla and aquila you try to put them together and their names are priscilla or aquila it just doesn't work you got to say them both got to say both names Sweet Anna. Sweet Anna. i don't know i don't know i don't think it sticks so anyway Brangelina aside, you can't force it. It's got a rule. So the next time that we hear about Priscilla and Aquila in Scripture, it's further on in Acts 18, and this is what it says. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the believers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chentray because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised he would come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, back at the ranch in Ephesus, a, native, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So this is... uh, Oh... going to talk about Apollos in a second, but the first point that I want to make about this passage from Acts 18 is this. Paul stayed on in Corinth, then he left, they sailed for Syria, then he arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So I think the inference from the beginning of this is that they all intended to maybe go to Syria, maybe. (coughs) I think either way this is brave. To me, if I'm needing to imagine, I'm navigating by lesser lights. I'm looking at this woman and I'm trying to use my imagination and my intellect to discern what characteristics about her I could gain from her life. I think first of all, the fact that you're exiled from your home and you have to go to a new city to begin with is a big deal. But secondly, the fact that whatever happened with her relationship where Paul with her and Priscilla and Aquila, sorry, her and Aquila together learning from Paul, who was in their home for 18 months, there was something that was significant enough that when he carried on his journeys, that they said, okay, we'll go with you. And they were business people. They were tent makers. And so they must have established their shop to a certain degree. It takes bravery to move, right, Dawson? Takes a lot of work. So the fact that they did this again, and then it could be inferred that this was maybe kind of a surprise (laughs) that they were heading for Syria, but then they got to Ephesus and went, okay, think we're supposed to stay here. So we'll stay here. And it's a good thing they did because they wound up establishing a, a house church there. And so then when it... Oh, and here's a great artist's rendering. This is meant to be Priscilla contemplating leaving her home and going on the voyage. And this artist imagined her with her tent-making materials in her lap, pondering why am i getting on a boat again you just never know these things why am i getting on a plane to go take pictures of small toilets on the other side of the world you just don't know why these things are going to come up but god god is good he leads you so the second part and this is the passage about priscilla that's most talked about when you read about her is the passage where Apollos, who was a great teacher. It says he was knowledgeable in the scriptures. These words that are used about him say that like he was very skilled. That he spoke, but that he didn't have the full picture of the gospel. And that Priscilla and Aquila took, invited him into their home. Now, we know that Priscilla and Aquila were disciples because we just did a whole series on discipleship. And we were really paying attention. Or if you like me, you went online and listened to them again and took notes so that you could really pay more attention. But Gordy told us that there were five indicators of discipleship. And this is what they were faithful attendance, faithful service, faithful giving, Bible based beliefs, and orthodoxy and orthoproxy, being like Jesus. Well, I think attendance, service, and giving are kind of taken care of if you establish the church in your own house. I think you're kind of covered on all of those facets. If you're committed enough to establish the church in your kitchen, you're probably going to show up serve and give towards what's going on there but what um this passage about them teaching apollos shows us is that we know that they had bible-based beliefs and that they were committed to uh accurate bible teaching and to being like jesus and so it's a pretty cool passage Now, I just need to look and see where I'm at in my notes. Okay, this passage where Priscilla instructs Apollos is significant for several reasons. Um, It simply shows, first of all, multiplication, which is one of the concepts that we've been talking about. As disciples, we naturally, if we're in relationship with people, make other disciples. So it shows that that happens. What Priscilla received, she passed on. And we have evidence that Apollos went on to be a great teacher himself. Not only this passage that says in Acts that when he was received in the new city that he went to, he was able to refute the Jews and prove he was the Messiah. But there's actually a passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul, just one second, where Paul is talking about a debate that has emerged in the church where some people are saying, I follow Paul. And some people are saying, I follow Apollos. And I had one of those. I don't know if anybody else has these, so maybe I'm alone, and if I'm alone, that's okay. Just enjoy my nerdiness. But when I was in the library and I discovered that that was the guy, because I had remembered reading 1 Corinthians 3, and I was suddenly like, that's the guy? That's the guy Priscilla taught him, and then he went on to be this major teacher that people actually debated whether they were disciples of his or disciples of Paul. Look, I actually have goosebumps on my arms right now. I know. Oh my gosh. I just think that's so cool. So anyway, talk amongst yourselves while I geek out up here. I just think that's so cool. But enough about me. An early church father, writing in the 4th century, whose name was John Chrysotom, wrote, This too is worthy of inquiry. Why, as he addressed them, Paul had placed Priscilla before her husband. He did not say greet Aquila and Priscilla, but... Priscilla and Aquila. And he does this not without a reason, for he seems to me to acknowledge a greater godliness for her than for her husband. And what I have said is not guesswork, because it is possible to learn it from the book of Acts. Priscilla took Apollos, an eloquent man and powerful in the scriptures, but knowing only the baptism of John, and she instructed him in the way of the Lord, and made him a teacher brought to completion." So this is significant, that Priscilla was a teacher. Luke clearly says that Priscilla and Aquila, with Aquila's help, taught Apollos the way of God. And the word that is used to describe this teaching has to do with minute attention to detail. It has to do with the concept of explaining the finer points of something to somebody. And so Priscilla and Aquila expound to an impossible, to the uh, apostle Apollos, An extremely precise Christian point or points which he then used to powerfully demonstrate to the Jews from scripture that Jesus was the Messiah and that happened because of this teaching that happened there's so Priscilla wasn't necessarily in the public eye for those of you who feel this challenge today but maybe say well That's great that you're so excited that you're up there clapping your hands with goosebumps on your arms. But I don't want to get up in front of everybody. I don't want to do all the same things that other people do. Priscilla, as far as we know, was a behind the scenes woman. She taught in her homes. Now, perhaps she taught at church gatherings because there's evidence that she was a very gifted teacher. But in this instance, she was behind the scenes leading someone who wound up becoming a great speaker and orator. And one book I read compared her to a Sunday school teacher whose name is Henrietta Mears. And she had a couple of Sunday school students in her class whose names were Billy Graham and Bill Bright, who were the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ. And here was this awesome little woman leading this Sunday school class, and she wound up turning out people who became um, one of the gentlemen. I can't remember his name was the pastor at Bel-Air Presbyterian Church where Ronald Reagan wound up going, and he was a tremendous influence essentially on a whole nation because this awesome woman of God had a Sunday school class where she taught some people who went on to be really powerful speakers. So that's important to know that she was behind the scenes in this situation. In case you missed it, I don't know if you get the cultural context, so I put it again with multiple exclamation marks, Priscilla was a teacher at this time in history. She was a woman and she was a teacher. It's crucial to note, one writer says, the subtle yet astounding information that Luke provides when he notes and records a woman guiding one of the most uh, esteemed teachers in the early church. One must not overlook the fact that Apollos accepted Priscilla's instruction without reservation. Moreover, neither Paul Paul nor Luke criticized Priscilla for having taught a man. If Priscilla had violated Paul's alleged prohibition against the teaching ministry of women, it seems most likely that either Luke or Paul would have criticized her for having taught a man. Even an early church father named Tertullian? Tertullian? Thanks, yeah, that guy. He's often been quoted actually for accusatory statements about women, but he recognized even that by the holy Priscilla, the gospel, is preached my friend uh dr beth stovell she used to go to this church back then she was just beth stovell but now she's a doctor so i like to call her dr beth stovell she is a good friend of mine and a former member here at the vineyard she recommended some great um, resources to me for this um, uh, sermon and one of the things that she recommended was that there's an organization called christians for biblical equality and they actually call their academic journal the priscilla papers So the Priscilla Papers Journal is the academic voice of Christians for biblical equality that provides interdisciplinary evangelical scholarship on topics that relate to a biblical worldview on gender equality and justice in the home, church, and world. So this is why I say I feel like I jumped into a swimming pool that I'd kind of just dabbled around the edge of, because as I started reading, I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into this. And as i started reading more and more and more there are so many references to women who paul addresses as co-workers and um, co-laborers and he didn't there, some translations call phoebe a deaconess there's no such word as deaconess it was the same word for the man and the woman paul makes no gender difference in his writing he was astounding in the way that he worked with and referred to women and it is so exciting to me to read to really read about this for the first time and I hope that I can translate a little bit of this and maybe just spur you on to I, I let me just say I got so passionate about this that by the end I was a little offended that we were calling this series lesser lights I was like lesser lights Priscilla is not a le- come on She's so good. so. Anyway, I've obviously fallen in love with this woman. The other fantastic thing, and this is so interesting, and I know I don't know how controversial this is or not, but I just think it's so exciting. So I just have to tell you that there are several scholars that believe have advanced the notions that Priscilla was the writer of the Book of Hebrews. There's uh, quite a few indicators that point in that direction. First of all, it's anonymous. So it may have been the fact that a female author would have been discredited had she put her name to the book. Um, She was an excellent teacher, and much of what's said in that book is exactly along the lines of what's described that she taught to Apollos in order for him to be able to prove that Jesus was the Messiah to a Jewish audience. The author was obviously a close associate of Paul's. Paul seems to be dead at the time of the book's writing, and Priscilla is one of the people that he greets in his last letter, so timeline would be accurate. Several women are listed as heroes of the faith in the book of Hebrews. The writer includes several practical examples of childhood and parenthood and discipline. There's four nautical terms that aren't evident in English but that appear in the Greek. And we know that she did four different sea voyages. Well, I'll have to tell you in a minute, she didn't just stay in the church. She actually moved on and founded some Morehouse Church. She was a brave woman. Um, The author takes great interest in the tabernacle, and that could be indicative of the fact that she was a tent maker, just throwing all the darts at the wall here. And the author uses a plural voice several times in the book, we, 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 and Priscilla and Aquila were a ministry team. So it's... There's thoughts, so, but we don't know. We don't know this. But the point is, is that she was a gifted teacher, and she was respected by Apollos and Paul, and she had a crucial role in the establishment of churches at Corinth and Ephesus and Rome. And she was referred to as a, a co-worker. She was a partner. That's what Paul called her. He, he uses this word. Let's just say. This is a quote that I'd like to read to you. It says, F.F. Bruce. I don't know who he is, but he said it. Paul seems to make no distinction among his fellow workers. Men receive praise and women receive praise for the collaboration with him in the gospel ministry without any suggestion that there is a subtle distinction between one and the other in status or function. And another quote that I read says, because congregations were subject themselves to paul's co-workers they would be subject to priscilla as a co-worker and as a leader of the congregation that met in her home paul wrote that a church met in the house of priscilla and aquila and again paul mentioned priscilla first indicating that she asked as the person most prominent in that congregation because she met in her home It met in her domain because the home was primarily under the influence and control of women. And because the fledgling churches had no place to meet except in homes, they entered into women's domains, which became the church's domains. And the home as the meeting place of the earliest Christians also became the place where discipleship, this is our word, and teaching take place. And women would have been included in the activities in the home church and probably had equal status with the men. In addition, there's evidence that wealthy pagan women gathered in private homes for their worship celebrations, and many prominent and wealthy women converted to Christianity and probably would have followed their own custom of opening their homes, their domains, as places of worship and gathering for the Christians. Besides Priscilla, there are numerous other New Testament women who had churches in their home. Lydia, who our own Lydia is going to be teaching about later in this series, Mary, Chloe, Nympha, Apiphea, and someone who's referred to as the elect... Lady. So it's kind of a big deal when we think about how we do church. And especially in light of the fact that I think for our church right now at this season that we're in, because at the beginning of the discipleship series, I was pretty sure I remembered Gordy saying this, but I went back and listened again and he said something pretty radical in saying that he really feels like God is moving our church into this season of home groups to maybe even change church structure. He said, you know, maybe we don't meet here as long. Maybe we meet here for part of the time. Maybe we meet here for meals, maybe whatever. And I just, I, I read all this with such a sense of urgency where I thought, I think this is for us now. I think there is something special happening in our church that is going to be sparked by whatever this home group series is going to be in the fall. And I, again, the challenge I have today is I feel like we are not supposed to look for the people who are starting the home groups. I really believe the challenge today is for each person who has been a longtime member here at the Vineyard to say, okay, so God... Tell me why I'm not supposed to start a home group. That would be my challenge. I mean there's lots of reasons why we can come up with I don't know. But we've been challenged that way, so we're gonna do it. We don't know what it's gonna look like yet. I was like, I don't know, maybe we should read a book. But my husband is a visionary, he was like, No, hey, we go to a church that said we can do a home group where we can do anything we want. We're not gonna read a book. We don't know what we're gonna do yet. We'll see. Maybe we'll read a book, and I don't know. Whatever, we'll figure it out. So let me share with you the other scriptures where Priscilla is mentioned. Oh, wait, but this is neat. This is a stained glass window in a church in Australia, and at the top is Priscilla and Aquila, and at the bottom, it's a stained glass picture of Priscilla teaching Apollos with Aquila beside her. That's so rock and roll. I just love that. Ugh, I want to go there. Okay. So this is the, the next place that Priscilla and Aquila are greeted, in Rome. So they got back to Rome, apparently. They left Rome. They obviously managed to get back in because in Romans, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chentry. This is translated... uh, from a gender-inclusive translation, today's New International Version. So it says deacon, because that's what the word meant. So there you go. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. Go, Phoebe. Meet Priscilla and Aquila. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them and greet also the church that meets at their house. What a commendation that they risk their lives for Paul and that all of the churches of the Gentiles owe it to this team, this ministry team that we're, that we're business people together. Oh, Anyway, so this is... The other references to them. Paul greets them. And I tell you, after you start reading some of this, these stop being boring th- lists at the end, and you're thinking, listen, there's another amazing person, another amazing person that's mentioned. But these are the other greetings that Paul gives to them. He mentions them several times. In First Corinthians, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings, and Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and also just the church that meets in their house. And he says to Timothy, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, I'm sure he could pronounce it. Um, and so these were people who were really special to Paul. He made an, a, an effort of greeting them when he wrote in multiple letters. And so uh, just as we're finishing today, I just want to um, remind you of what it is that, that our pastor talked about when he was introducing to us this concept of discipleship in this series, um, that discipleship is the aspect of faith which helps people mature and develop and thrive as fully devoted followers of Jesus. So this is what we as a church are going for now. We want to mature and develop and thrive, at spurring each other on. This is what we're going for. So these are the steps in discipleship, and they're very simple. And it's essentially this. There's a call for you to be a disciple of Jesus. There's relationship, where you hang out with somebody. Jesus was a fantastic example of this. He had a really tight-knit small group. Delegation, where you then say to people, I don't know, why don't you, I don't know, you're doing pretty well, why don't you go invite that person out for coffee, or host your own dinner party, start your own supper club, have a conversation. And then there's still the aspect of, here it says supervision, but I think, That's something that comes, again, very much as we're doing life together, where you're saying to a friend, how'd that go? Um, What did that look like for you? How's it going with this thing that you talked about that you're having trouble with? But not, not leaving people on their own, not leaving each other alone, but walking together in relationship and, and talking with each other about how we're maturing, about how we're developing, about what's happening in our relationships with Jesus, that it's okay to have those conversations with each other I, um, I came up with a mnemonic device to help remember this powerful woman oh yes I did actually find things to help you remember Priscilla that spell the word power Oh, yes, I did, this powerful woman. She was a partner. She was a wife and a business tradeswoman. She was a co-worker in the gospel. She and her husband were an amazing team together. I have made a a point of noting that her name was mentioned first because that's rare and noteworthy in the context of the gender distinctions of the day. But their names always appear together and they were a team that partnered in ministry. Anybody who's ever been a partner, either in a relationship or in leading a small group or being part of a business, you know how hard that can be. And this couple survived four moves, an exile, at least three church plants. You know that they had to be doing something right in order for all of those things to go well in ministry. We know that Priscilla was open. She was open with her home. She was open in how she practiced incredible hospitality. She was open to change. Possibly she was headed for Sirius and wound up planning a church in Ephesus, but there must have been in that um, situation. And she must have been open to being discipled herself, to have learned from Paul in order to be able to pass that on to other people. She was incredibly wise. Um, Our pastor, Gordy, passed on to me a passage that he really liked about Priscilla and Aquila, and it's an old, kind of an older-fashioned writer in the way that he terms it, but essentially what he's saying is, what would you and I have done if we were in a sermon, and we heard a guy who was powerfully preaching, and he was powerfully preaching this message, but it was kind of just wrong. Like, he didn't quite get the core of it. In order for them to have had the influence that they had with him, they, have ha- they must have held their tongues. They didn't sit in church and go, oh, uh-oh. And afterwards at coffee hour say, whoa, good preach, but he kind of was a little, you know, and do things that would have ruined his influ- their influence with him, but also their influence with other people. They must have held their tongues in integrity and take, they took him aside in their own home in a safe place. And then what humility on his part to be able to have these two tent makers come to him. Because it says he was a learned man from Alexandria who was gifted in the scriptures and apparently was doing a great job of speaking. And, you know, the, the author who wrote this passage said, I don't know who to admire more. I don't know who I more admire. The wisdom and the discretion and the the way that Priscilla and Aquila so carefully spoke to him or the humility of Apollos that he was willing to receive correction, that he was willing to receive correction and obviously eagerly took it in because he then, the, the next passage, goes on to say that he was able to stand in the synagogue and refute the Jews and prove Jesus was Messiah based on this... New teaching that he'd received. It's a beautiful picture of the way the body of Christ is supposed to work, where we're submitted one to another. And that's the point that Paul makes when he's talking about submission. In other parts of his letters, he says, submit one to another as as brothers and sisters, as co-workers. Submit one to another as, as people who are partnering together in the gospel, that we're all to be submitting to each other, and the Christ in us, and walking humbly, not thinking higher of ourselves and other people. It's such a great picture to have, and, and she was so wise. The E in power for powerful woman of God is that she was encouraging. First of all, I believe that she was just full of courage, that's what encourage means, is that you're putting courage into somebody else. And I believe that she had to be full of courage herself just to be willing to have lived the life that she lived. And in fact, Paul says she risked her life for him, risked her life that all the churches owed her li- their lives to him. And also it says flat out that when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Well, that was Priscilla and Aquila. Those were the believers. So she wrote a letter and said, welcome this guy. And off he went and and powerfully spoke. And then the last uh, word, I I needed to go to a thesaurus to come up with this one. But um, I wanted something that meant disciplined. And the great uh, thesaurus suggested for our word, restraint. That's something I struggle with in my own life, especially because dessert is so good. But, um, but I think just in general, the concept of obviously being disciplined enough to be a great discipler who is a person of integrity. And so that's, that's what I came up with in and as far as who she was and introducing her to you. And so last night, after looking at all of my notes, I went back and i read the book of hebrews with new eyes imagining we don't know for sure some people think apollos maybe wrote the book of hebrews so either way she may have had a hand in it but i read it with new eyes looking at it from the point of view of having spent so much time trying to just imagine the real person that this was not somebody that is just a few notes in scripture but this woman who really lived who really lived and really impacted our church and There were a few quotes that just stood out to me. The writer of Hebrews says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. And God permitting, we will do so. I just feel to encourage us as a church that I think that we're in a season where we have an opportunity now, especially with, I believe, the challenge that God's setting before us, to really ask God for his imagination about what these small groups are going to be in the fall for us to move beyond elementary teaching and to be spurred on to maturity. I don't know why, but I was so excited when Norman and Natalie showed up today. Seriously, I was just like, oh my gosh, they're here. So I don't know what's going on for you guys in the fall, but there's something pretty exciting, I think, for you. Whatever it is that you're going to be involved, I just felt like, yes, to encourage you, that God just wants you guys and, and many more. I was even in the back room watching everybody come in, and it was like, Good. There's more people coming. I got super, I was excited to see so many of you. I, should, I shouldn't name names. With So many, so many great people who have been with us for a while and I just feel like this word is, is for you. You know, it's, it's for you who have been here. It's like, what does God have for you? It's so exciting. And this is the thing. Let us move beyond elementary teachings and let's be taken forward into maturity. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching so that that's my heart as I just have shared with you about this this lady who was a fantastic light in the early church and um And this is what I hope to do today. I really hope that this message has spurred you on by the the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be stirring inside you now, spurring you on to love and good deeds, not giving up, but encouraging one another and all all the more as you see the day approaching. So uh, unless you have any other thoughts, Dawson? Any thoughts? No, right now? I love to just spend a minute being quiet. I don't know what your life is like, but quiet moments are so rare. (laughs) And um, we have a little opportunity right now to just listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. So uh, I'd love to just pause and um, just spend some time and ask God, what it is that God would speak to you out of this message. And if you're visiting today, I would say, what is this for you in your congregation, in your home? What is it that God has for you? Why are you here today? Why did you get to hear this message? Um, it would be fun to find out. Um, but, but what is it for you? What is it that the Lord has for you to do? And, and what is it that God wants to spur you on to love and good deeds? So let's just take a minute and just be quiet before the Lord and listen. Lord Jesus, come. By your Holy Spirit, speak. Help us quiet our minds come against anything that's not of you that would get in the way of us hearing from you help our own ideas or doubts or imaginations that would get in the way of what you want to say be silenced and would you with us spur our holy imaginations would you speak to us of partnership and openness and wisdom and encouragement and discipline and restraint and show us what you have for us today Got something to
0: share? Yeah, I'm going to share something. i have someone else who wants to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I just have one thing to share, and if you have anything else that's on your mind and heart and that God's spoken to you, then you're definitely free to do so. It is 12.15, though, and we have to pick up our kids pretty soon. Um, but yeah, this is for the, for the men. If you, um, if you were hearing parts of Joanna's sermon, where she was like, hey, women... Let's go. Let's lead. And you're like, well, wait a second, you know. The men are supposed to lead. Let me just ask you are you? Because it doesn't really matter what you're supposed to do, it matters if you are. Are you stepping into the place that you feel with that admission? Go, yeah, the men are supposed to lead. Are you stepping into that place in your day to day life, in your family, in your church? Because it doesn't really matter about some kind of debate. That's a very good debate and a very complicated debate. But that's not what this is about. This is about building community and walking together. So whether it's men or women, the challenge is the same. Are you actively, passionately pursuing relationship with one another? Or are you tacitly relinquishing your responsibility and authority to another.
1: That's right. Would anybody else like to share um you don't have to come up to the front if you're not comfortable but would anybody else like to share if they had a sense of something when we were waiting? If you're like me, the fact that I asked that, and then if you're like suddenly have crazy butterflies and your palms are sweating, that might be an indicator that you're supposed to say something. But I'm just saying, that's how it works for me. Okay, that's okay if there's not. But if you're supposed to share, share now. Otherwise, if you're like me again, you're gonna have to call me later and say, I was supposed to share and I never shared. Thanks, Norm. That's right. Yeah, are we still recording, Dean? So for the purpose, I know, for the purposes of, of those who are listening to this online, Norm was just sharing with us his thoughts about um, just remembering how radical it was that in the early church men and women were together, and also that, she, that the women were the first people to discover uh, Jesus' empty tomb, and that how radical it was that they weren't they weren't learned before, but that they were meant to be together. Yeah, you're right. And it, it is, it's meant to be all together. Yeah, all together as a team. One interesting point that I discovered with this was that one of the reasons why the women were able to view the um, crucifixion is because women were perceived as not possibly being part of a revolution when he was crucified. And that there was somebody who was recently studying in the Middle East who said, oh yeah, women are are free to come and go, but the men were hiding because the men were perceived to be part of the revolution. And how we know about partnership in the early church is that later on, they were killing men and women equally. Everybody was a part of the revolution. And the fact that Priscilla and Aquila were martyred together is actually a symbol or a sign that they were both participating and responsible because at the time of the crucifixion, they didn't possibly imagine that the women could have been any, any part of it. But yeah, that's right. That's great. Okay, well, we, uh, it's our official time to wrap up as far as people who need to go and get their kids from Sunday school. But we we'll, don't want to stop anything. This Wait, yes? You have to talk. Was that me? No? Chloe? All right. I don't want to cut you off. Are you sure? Are you sure, Anna? Come on. Come on. What do you want to... No, I'm just kidding. You're all right? You good? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening today. I'm just going to offer a prayer of thanks for the day. And then I would really invite you, if you have more ideas on your mind, to continue to stay and just talk with each other and be church. And thank you all for listening so attentively today. I really appreciate it. So, Father God, thank you that you love us, and that you've created us in your image to love you and serve you with all of our giftings, together in community with each other as a body, and that you want for each one of us to come into the fullness of everything that you have planned for us. And you want our church to come into the fullness of everything that you have dreamed and planned for us. And Father, I pray that you would spur us on to be co-creators, co-imaginers, partners in life. That we would sense daily your joy in us and your delight as we share that joy with each other. I ask your blessing on my brothers and my sisters. I pray for them as they go out into their communities and jobs and homes and life and travels this week. And I ask your blessing upon them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who are getting married by this time next week, they will be married! Yay! Congratulations, Vernon Lydia. Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Have a great week.